My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I do want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When good things happen to bad stocks, I get nervous. Lately, we've seen a lot of low-quality stocks rallying purely because too many hedge funds shorted them at the same time. And those shorts end up getting squeezed. Remember, just like they did in late January 2021? Although, lately to a lesser extent, but it's been behind a lot of the action. Today, though, with the Dow slipping 58 points, S&P backsliding 0.42%, and the Nasdaq tumbling 1.19%, and it was worse most of the day, the short sellers, well, they actually won! And in this case, you know what? I think it's a good thing. There's a whole contingent out there that she's betting against the shorts as some sort of brilliant strategy. It's not the case. First of all, it's not even a strategy. I like to think of it as a high-risk tactic that can easily blow up in your face. So let me give you some examples from today's trading, starting with the incredibly volatile Bed Bath & Beyond. A few years ago, they brought in this terrific manager from Target, Mark Tritton, chief merchandising officer, to turn things around. Bed Bath got a total makeover with some exciting private label brands, too, but the customers didn't like it. And the same store sales fell to an unfathomable minus 23, minus 27 when it came to the main store. So Triton, Triton got fired. The interim CEO, Sue Gove, has been dealt a weak hand. The stock recently fell to four bucks and changed in the days after Triton got axed, and the projections are horrendous. At the same time, Bed Bath's formerly beautiful balance sheet has gotten so ugly that its credit rating has been downgraded to near bankruptcy. <laughs> Yet in less than six weeks' time, this stock, this moribund stock, flew from four bucks to around thirteen bucks, where it peaked yesterday. Why? Did something good happen? No. It's just that Bed Bath and Beyond has a small float and a ton of short sellers. The short interest made up 42% of the shares at one point. That's way too much, people. Whenever I had a short at my old hedge fund that got this crowded, as we call it, I would skedaddle. So Bed Bath rallied on a short squeeze, but nothing good at the company. Now, the stock finally broke down today off 14% because people like me were talking about how the company might take advantage of this, this momentary run-up to sell, let's say, 10 million shares to fix their balance sheet problems. Of course, if they start issuing new shares, that resolves the short squeeze and sends the stock lower. Isn't it an odd conundrum where a company that needs to raise money is basically on the side of the shorts, not the longs? In other words, if you're beating up the shorts, hoping they'll be forced to cover as the stock shoots higher, management might take advantage of your buying to do an equity offering that just crushes you. Hence the 14% decline of Bed Bath, which increasingly looks like a lot. I don't have it like the old J.C. Penny when they, they switched strategies and alienated seemingly their entire client base. How about another example? Take a look at Upstart, the artificial intelligence-fueled lending platform. I believe this company initially became 
I like the model because I thought they were just facilitating loans, not lending money themselves, not against their own capital. However, the whole financial technology cohort collapsed late last year, and this stock has been obliterated, dragged down by the fact that Upstart's actually on the hook for a lot more loans than we thought. Staggering. It's just staggering. According to the late July note from the analysts at Wedbush, they've got, got, got a 4.8% delinquency rate for a recent vintage of loans, which is distinctly suboptimal. And I've got to tell you, a lot of people felt I gave the company a hard time when they were on last time, but I did that to help save you money. In early July, Upstart guided numbers down huge. Last night, the company delivered the full report and guidance for the current quarter, and I gasped at how bad things are. Next thing you know, though, this talks, uh, it opened up to almost 10%. Why? Short squeeze. 38% of the float is sold short. That's produced a tremendous rally over the last week. Stock, the longs ran the stock up this morning, hoping they could force the short sellers to capitulate. Nothing to do with the company itself, but they only failed. And Upstart justifiably plummeted almost 12%. <laughs> Just like Bed Bath, there's no price where I'd be willing to own Upstart. Then there's AMC. Oh, you think I'm going to come out negative, don't you? The one that's a movie theater chain run by Adam Aaron? Now, wait a second. Here's the case where the company reported better than expected revenues and a whopping 59 million in attendance versus 22 million last year. Here's one where the fundamentals are getting better. AMC only lost 20 cents when the street was looking for 23 cents. To me, it's clear that AMC is off the critical list. No more of this. And Aaron celebrated when he came squawk on Squawk on the Street last week. I loved it. He also issued some preferred shares as an homage to his shareholder base, which is filled with short buzzers who call themselves apes. Jane Goodall? He even borrowed the term ape for the ticker of the preferred. There was some initial confusion about this move, a that it was dilutive, which is, of course, bad, something that Aaron cleared up on Squawk on the Street. However, the positive numbers did not appease the shorts, and they pressed initially. Then the longs came back and ran the stock up from 15 to 24 in a matter of days. When it got there, the short squeeze vanished and the stock's coming right back down on big volume of 6.3%. All I can say is AMC's truly doing better, which makes it a terrible short. Rare case where the short busters have the fundamentals on their side. How about this one? I used to love this one. Beyond Meat. Okay, stock ran from 32 to 40 in a heartbeat recently, the latest leg in a 72% jaunt since mid-June. On what? On nothing except for the shorts. 37% short position in this one. It's been a rocket ship of late, but I question its ultimate trajectory because the fellow meat plays losing a gigantic amount of money. I mean, much more than I ever thought it was capable of losing. More importantly, they're not winning where it matters with the franchisees, major fast food chains like McDonald's. In fact, J.P. Morgan just put out a scathing piece pointing out that Beyond Meat failed its trial at McDonald's because the product didn't sell well enough. That can often doom something. We've seen the same thing at Yum! Brands and Panda Express. Beyond Meat's fundamentals are beyond awful. And the whole run here was about the short squeeze. But on a day like today, that's not enough. And the stock plunged nearly 6%. Who else can be considered in the class? Wayfair, Big W, been holding up surprisingly well after miserable losses that only abated during the worst of the pandemic. Got to close all the other furniture stores. For them to do well, the online furniture retailer says it can go back to that positive period. But I see no reason to believe them unless you think that we're headed for another COVID lockdown. I don't know, like uh, in China or something. However, uh, Wayfair's 26% short position means there's only so hard the stock can get hit before it finds the floor. I don't like it even after today's $12 decline. But if you try to bet against it, you'll probably get squeezed. 
you want furniture exposure, may I suggest Apple Williams-Sonoma, which is genuinely profitable and also much cheaper. Finally, there's GameStop. Yeah, the original meme stock, GameStop. What am I going to say about this one? Actually, I've chosen not to emphasize it because it actually has a big cash position. Thanks to a big equity uh, deals that it's been offering, uh, it also has only a 23% short position. When you look at the core business of video game sales, GameStop probably deserves to be shorted. Even the best players in gaming are struggling right now, and GameStop is one of the worst. But the company has that big pile of cash. Gives them what I call optionality. Even though the stock's dramatically overvalued up here, it feels like a push because it has the financial flexibility to reinvent itself, hopefully as a companion and training tool to the Metaverse Quest product. Funny, the original meme stock is losing money hand over fist, and it hasn't been fixed at all, yet it doesn't have a colossal short position. Why? I think the shorts have been burned too many. Once burned, twice shy. GameStop's got a halo around it because the short busters are so relentless. Here's the bottom line. In a market that's presenting you with ample opportunities to lose money, I can't endorse buying these money losing stocks in the hope of engineering a short squeeze. Sooner or later, you'll end up with a day like today where that tactic just blows up in your face. Carlos in New York. Carlos. Hey, Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. My 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 16-year-old son, Simeon, started working this summer as a lifeguard. He has been investing 80% of his pay in stocks. He wants to know where should he invest his next pay, Kraft, Heinz, or Intel? Now, remember this. They wow. both dividends. Obviously, you know this. Right. Now, okay, uh, so he wants to get your advice. Kraft or Intel? My son wants you. Oh, please give me a third money. one. Please give me something else. Please, you know, <laughs> give me, I don't know. How about, you know, look, I love a six-year-old doing that. We're giving him a J&J. We're not going to let him do craft or intel. You know why? Because we like youth, and we stand for youth on bad money. That's our plan, Carlos, and we're not backing away from it. Let's go to Kenneth in New York. Kenneth! Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Kenneth. How about you? I'm doing okay. Hey, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Generac Holdings, ticker symbol GNRC. I like that company very much. I am surprised it's down 30% given how bad our grid is. It's your hope in a bad grid universe. I say we buy, 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 Generac. Oh, how about Peter, my home state of New Jersey? Peter! Hey, Big Jim. Listen, nice talking with you. Thanks for taking my call. Same, Thanks same. for your knowledge, sharing your knowledge and your positive attitude. It really means oh, a lot. Oh, you're very kind. Uh, Jackie and I have some a couple. We have a two-year time horizon, and we've got a couple okay. stocks that we're not trading, just holding. They're Facebook and Google, but there's another one that we're thinking of adding to it. If there's any life left in this puppy, Snap. What do you think? Just holding it for two years. No life. We're gonna have to worry about Snap from now. We don't want to do that. I like both of your other stocks better. And I, the one I'm Google's got in trouble with the Justice Department again. What the heck is that? It'd just be worth more if they break it up. So that's my game plan for you. Now, I can't endorse buying money-losing stocks in the hope of engineering a short squeeze. A lot of people feel I busted one this very morning with Bed Bath & Beyond. If it was my fault, I'll take it. Sooner or later, you end up with a day like today where that tactic just blows up in your face. Remember today. Oh, man, money tonight. Should investors use today's post-earnings dip in the Take-Two Interactive as a nice entry point to 
play the video game maker stock. I'm digging into the axe with company CEO. Then the restaurant business has struggled with inflation on food. So I'm going straight to the expert, Danny Meyer, to learn more about the impact on food service in the U.S. and going out. And Planet Fitness fell mysteriously today. They're posting a top line, slight miss for the second quarter. So what happened to cause the company to lose its hard-earned gains, and can they come back? I'm breaking down the report with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, we've got something interesting going here. We know it's tough to be the best house in a bad neighborhood. And that is my gut reaction to last night's numbers from Take-Two Interactive Software. That's the video game publisher best known for Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and this amazing NBA 2K franchise that just won't quit. Right now, though, there's a serious slowdown in gaming because people seem to want to go outside again if you're spending the better part of two years hiding from COVID. And I think that's why Take-Two stocks been eviscerated over the last nine months, even as this was once a tremendous long-term winner, I think can be again. But business is just okay right now. Last night, Take-Two reported a discouraging quarter for some, missing on every meaningful line, sometimes by a wide margin. But we got to look into that. Even worse, management's guide was ugly. They're now talking about losing $400 million this year when the previous forecast called for roughly $200 million profit. But even that, I think, is not necessarily the best way to put it. But that's why the stock tumbled nearly 4%. Today. I say not the best way to put it because it would have been down 10% if it was really bad. So I'm wondering if this wasn't some sort of kitchen sink quarter where Take-Two threw all the bad news at us, meaning the bottom could be here right now. And I don't think there's another shoe to drop. Let's take a closer look at Strauss Zelnick, the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive Software, to learn more about the quarter and the state of the industry. Mr. Zelnick, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jim. Nice to be here. Okay, so Strauss, I'm so glad you're here because there are a lot of questions that I think you can answer. One is, some people seem to think that there was a recession-resistant or resilient nature to gaming, which was words that never came out of your mouth. Right. Uh, We'd love to say that the entertainment business is recession-resistant or recession-proof, and people have said that over the years. It's just not the case. We sell a consumer product, and when you have inflation, people have to buy fuel and food first, and entertainment is, does take a backseat to that. That said, people always want entertainment, so they're still showing up for great properties, but not in the same way that they were a few months ago. But at the same time, you bought a company that gives you exposure to another way that people look at games— uh, I think it's pretty clear right now that you're getting both companies for the price of what you would have getting take two about six months ago. Tell me how the blend is working and why you think it can work for long term. It's going really well so far. One of the, one of the biggest reasons a company stumble in combinations is when culture doesn't fit. And we were pretty sure from knowing Zynga for a long time that the culture would fit well, but it's gone vastly better than we could have expected in our wildest dreams. Now, going forward, uh, mobile is going to be a very significant part of our business, about 45 percent of our business. And that is the fastest growing part of the interactive entertainment business. And, of course, encompasses a different demographic, an older demographic, a more female demographic. So we're a more diversified company. And because we combined with Zynga, which had the best collection of owned intellectual property in the mobile business, 
We're diversified in PC and console. We're also diversified in mobile. And in times like these, it's good to be diversified. Well, you got to explain that mobile, uh, the different streams of revenue, because these are very different businesses. They are else. different businesses. In the case of our PC and console business, to engage, you have to buy the property right. in the first place. And then we have live services on an ongoing basis where people can or can't spend. But to, to enter the front door, you do have to pay. Right. In the case of mobile, by definition, it's free to play. And so if people are feeling pinched, they may choose to play for free and not spend. And that's why I think mobile's under a bit more pressure and why you're seeing mobile multiples lower than PC and console multiples. Oh, okay. I'm not going to ask you if you should have paid more or less, because that's not the kind of question we asked Strauss out. You paid what you did, and then you make it work. But I am a little confused, because sometimes I find your friends a little bit confusing for me. Uh, when we're talking about what you paid, there was originally... Uh, you included expectation for $200 million net income, and then you got a net loss in the neighborhood of $400 million. I must be reading that wrong, because strauss Zelnick doesn't miss like that. So we, we tend to look at this in a non-GAAP measurement. So right. our GAAP numbers just don't tell the story because okay. we have deferred revenue lines. So the story that you want to look at is our net bookings are expected in the coming, in this fiscal year, to be $5.8 to $5.9 billion. Right. Uh, and we expect very significant management earnings and cash flow of $700 million or more. So what you really want to look at is how much you're bringing in in net revenue, what are you generating in cash flow? So it really isn't apples to apples. No, That's, of course not. I mean, okay. we're a cash flow positive business. We expect to pay down a bunch of debt, and we don't have very much debt to begin well, okay, with. Okay, so this is why I think the stock might be the opportunity, because you've got everybody out of it at this point. People are worried. They're worried that it's not recession-resilient, but resilient. But you have great titles, and you have a great library. So suddenly you've got this business that now has another another venue. I like the different demographic, encompasses more people, and yet hasn't uh, lost its excitement if you have new and exciting titles, which is what I think. You'll never let a game out before it's ready, but obviously you must be very confident in the titles ahead. Well, we are. I mean, we have coming up soon, of course, and the next iteration of NBA 2K right. coming in September. We couldn't be more excited about that. And on the mobile side, we have these forever franchises that keep delivering over many years, like Empires and Puzzles and Zynga Poker, uh, and from T2 Mobile Games, which is now part of Zynga, Top 11, and other titles. So on both sides of the house, we have great titles that are highly resilient over long periods of time, and of course, new titles coming. Now, I wanted to get a sense on what the latest updates are on Grand Theft. I mean, it's still an unbelievable. I know you're not going to give us too much of a preview. <laughs> But it is still the greatest title of all time. So anytime anything happens that's different, I know that it's going to be, you talked about moving up the ladder of crime. Now, I know within the context of the, of the, of the game, that's a good thing. I mean, we may not may discourage that in real life. But this is obviously something that people must want to climb. Uh, to say that people want to engage with Grand Theft Auto is a huge understatement. Right. We, we've sold in almost 170 million units at this point. It's, it's the biggest entertainment franchise in the history of entertainment. And uh, Rockstar's hard at work on the next iteration. We're incredibly excited about it. More news will be coming. Rockstar also continues to put out content updates for Grand Theft Auto Online. Right. And the engagement there is great. And we've launched a subscription offering, GTA Plus. We haven't talked a lot about it. No. But that, too, is going very well so far. Okay. With and a pretty high attach rate. All right. That's great. So you've got new Zynga with new reporting. To, uh, new reporting gives you a last chance here. <laughs> Please, if there's any way, if you could simplify your reporting now that you've got Zynga here, if, if, even if it's just like, okay, look, this is one way to look at it. This is another. As opposed to just giving your guidance. The only reason I say that 
is because I find lines that are so daunting. And I've been doing this for a long time, and with you, that I just know there's a better way for me to be able to look at this. And I don't feel like I'm that I'm getting the keys to the kingdom of, of your reporting. It's it's a it's a great note. And I think we have to put more emphasis on the metrics which matter, yeah. which are our net revenue and the cash flow that we generate. Yeah, because look, the cash flow is it, yeah, right? That's a story. You give us the cash flow that I know exactly. I mean, we were the toughest uh, cloud company, I find, is easier than yours. And yet that often the plays against you and very rarely plays with you. And yet at this price, it should all play with you. Okay? Thank you so much to Strauss Elder, Chairman CEO of Take Two Interact. Guys, this stock is low. All the bad news is in. I'm saying this is the right level. Thank you, Strauss. Thank you, Jim. Good to see you. Coming up. Hungry for information? Kramer sits down with one of New York's premier restaurateurs. And money is on the menu. Next. It's the end of an era at Union Square Hospitality Group, the privately held restaurant holding company founded by the legendary Danny Meyer way back in 1985. Now, if you live in New York, you know them as Gramercy Tavern, Manhattan, Blue Smoke, Daily Provisions, a bunch of others. They're also the company that originally created Shake Shack. Last week, we learned that Danny's passing on the CEO title to his president and chief operating officer, Chip Wade, even as he's staying on as executive chairman. This is a very big deal. Danny may be the single most successful restaurateur of the modern era. And I don't mean just in New York. I always recommend his book, Setting the Table, as required reading for anyone in the service industry, or maybe these days any industry, because everybody's in service. So I think this is the perfect time to catch up with Danny Meyer, the founder and executive chairman of Union Square Hospitality Group, and pick his brain. Mr. Meyer, welcome back to Man Money, and congratulations on everything that you're up Thank to. you, Mr. Kramer. Well, I know. I should, I'm formal, even though I've known you forever, but I am excited because you do so many different things things that I imagine being able to be executive chairman also frees you to do all new projects because you are always in the go. Tell us what you're up to. Well, first of all, I think any responsible company at a certain point says we better have a good succession plan. And it's something I've been thinking about for a lot of years. Keep in mind, as you just said, I was 27 when I started Union Square Cafe. Ronald Reagan was our president. (laughs) So I've been doing this for a long time. And there was a food critic who didn't like it at that point. Oh, there were many who didn't like (laughs) us, that's for sure. But you know what? It's, a, it's not only a matter of my own timing, but it's the organization. The organization's ready, and we have an amazing leader in Chip Wade. And, and so if not now, when? The last thing you want to do as founder is to see your business not being in the hands of an operator who can take us even further. And, that's and he was in legal seafood, which is a lot of our favorite. They had 31 restaurants. So he's not a stranger to service or the restaurant business. No, but I think even more importantly than all of Chip's amazing experiences, he was at Darden for many years as well in a presidential role, is that over the course of three years, he has earned so much trust and respect from our team that when I made this announcement last week, you can tell when your team is happy. And they okay. were really thrilled. Well, I don't know if you remember Darden, you and me. And the first time you were on, I tried to get you to sample Darden and Chipotle and make a determination. And you turned the tables on me and said, it's not about that, Jim. It's about food. It's about culture. And it's about hospitality. Still believe that. I still believe that more than ever. And as a matter of fact, what I'm going to get to spend my time doing, because Chip is so good at operating the business, is to work at the business, work at advancing the culture, work at making our food taste better, work with our Today I had meetings with two of our general managers. That's the stuff I love to do. And I feel like 
if I've earned one right after all these years, I want to do the stuff that I think I'm best at and let other people do the stuff that they're even better at. All right, well, let me tell you something you're pretty great at, too. Stock picking. Now, you didn't mean to. You were talking about franchises. But when you came on in 2009, the height of the, of the Great Recession, you analyzed some companies that you nailed. How did you know? Because some of them, you know, a lot of them really pretty much eluded people. Well, it all started when you wheeled out that big tray of food. And besides <laughs> Red Lobster and Olive Garden, there was Chipotle, McDonald's. There was, you know, Pizza Hut. There was everything on there. And the food had probably been sitting there for all morning. And you said, which one do you want to eat? And I'm going like, I don't want to eat any of this stuff. But that's when I said what I meant, which is if I'm going to pick a stock, it's always based on three things. Number one is what's the quality of the leadership? Number two is what's the quality of the culture? Is it an uplifting employee first, community first culture? And so when you then asked me after Chipotle went like this, after I talked about Chipotle that day, not because of me, just that's how the timing went. But you said, why don't you do a whole hospitality index? And I said, great, I'll be glad to do it. And so I basically looked at companies the way I look at our own restaurants. Right. Right. And I said, who are the best leaders? Who's, who are the best places to work, right? So where do employees love it the most? And then which are the, the companies, irrespective of what sector they're in, that have the, higher, the highest customer appeal? Well, let me ask you, Apple, you picked Apple. That was since Steve Jobs was still alive. You didn't want to change it when Tim Cook took it. A lot of people felt that it was a different company with Tim Cook. You thought it could be a better company. I think Tim Cook was elevated not just because he's an exceptional leader, but because he's exceptional at fueling the great worker culture there. And I know people very well who work at Apple and have worked at Apple, and they rave about the culture. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you. There was a, uh, a SPAC that didn't work with Panera. Uh, no implications just didn't come together? Well, major implications. The stock market. When was the last time you... Okay. You had a big IPO on the stock market. Well, I meant and none for you. I mean, for no, the no. stock market itself, this is a nothing. Nothing can get. No, we we love the guys at Panera. In fact, I was just on the phone with the CEO earlier today. Great relationship, and unfortunately, you can have a SPAC and a great partnership as we did, but we couldn't outrace the market. We still have till next spring to do a deal, and we're going to do the best job we can, as we did with Panera, to do something imaginative that is not. A typical SPAC. Okay. As you may recall with Panera, we were going to take our treasury of $300 million, which is right. still sitting right. probably in the Bank of Philadelphia somewhere, and we have that to invest in a company, and we'll, we'll find something that we think is really good for our stockholders. Now, uh, there are aspects of the restaurant business have gotten hard. One, you had your tip strategy. I want to hear about that, but also everything's gotten really expensive, Danny. You, like, you have always been someone who want people to be able to have a, a meal inexpensive and be great, also expensive is, if it's fantastic. What's going to happen with inflation? Because I think people are going to get priced out of really great places. Yeah, it's no fun. There's, there's no question about it. No restaurant I know likes raising prices, but no restaurant I know likes running out of money with which to pay its right. team. And, uh, you know, inflation has cut both ways in our industry. First of all, there's no question that menu prices are higher than they've ever been. Right. But guess what that translates to? If you do have a tipping model in your restaurants, right. servers are making more money than they've ever made before. We believe that tips should be able to be shared with everyone in the right. restaurant. What we do at our restaurants right now, in addition to permitting tipping for our team, we pay a percentage of our revenue to our non-tip eligible employees, also known as cooks. And so in an odd way, 
the inflationary time we're in, while it's really hard for people to pay their rent and to pay for all their expenses, they're able to make more money. It's actually attracted a lot more people to come back into the restaurant business. And for the first time, we're actually on equal footing in terms of our talent count as we were in 2020 when we first had to stop being well, in business. Well, that's good news because I don't want restaurants to close because there's nobody to work at them except the prices that are so high that the restaurants aren't But solid. it's got to stop somewhere. It and unfortunately, you know, it starts with food suppliers. We've got to pass it on because we can't go out of business. It's got to stop it's and start somewhere. It's got to stop somewhere. And that's, they got to be thinking about that in Washington. It can't just be done at the local level. Well, I want to thank Danny Meyer, founder and executive chairman now of Union Square Hospitality. But I can tell you, we all have stories about what happened at our Danny Meyer restaurant experiences. And for mine, 100% positive, except when my wife turned me down when I asked her to get married at the Modern. Two stars, and I got turned down. And, and you're married. Come <laughs> she on. came so back the next year I was and said, say okay. Something went right. <laughs> Man, <money's> back <laughs> after the break. Coming up, health is wealth. And Kramer's got a stock that may offer a little of both. Stick with Mad Money. All right, what the heck just happened to the stock of Planet Fitness? The affordable gym chain saw its stock bottom in mid-June before running from 61 to just over 81 yesterday. Many brokerage houses pushing it as a top pick in the fitness and leisure space, something I, you know, I agree with. But this morning, Planet Fitness reported what I thought was a pretty good quarter. Better than expected, same-store sales, in-line earnings. Suddenly, we could have expected revenue and EBITDA, but really not as infinitesimal. More importantly, management only reiterated their full-year forecast with the guidance coming in weaker than Wall Street hoped for. In response, the stock dropped nearly 6% today, as many new investors threw in the towel, which I think is wrong. I don't think the story's changed one bit. As a matter of fact, I think it's gotten better. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Chris Rondo, the CEO of Planet Fitness. He had a better read on the quarter. Mr. Rondo, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate Chris, it. Chris, I think this the is story great. is this. Forget all the mumbo-jumbo at EBITDA. 3.3 million teens have come into the fold. And that is just the most astronomical number. You're talking about nearly 15% of all teens and high school teens yep. in this country. Go to Planet Fitness. In almost 60 days signed up. How's that possible? It's crazy. It's, you know, so I think what, what's really happened, and we saw this even previous to this launch of the high school summer pass, where free teens come in all summer, no charge. Leading into this, their older Gen Z counterparts that are in their early 20s were joining 150% of normal of pre-COVID. So they're realizing fitness is important for physical mental health, right? Right. Then we opened this up for the high school kids, and it just took off even more so. And we did this in 2019. We only had a million more than three times this summer. It shows you that they really show the importance of fitness. Okay, now, we know that older people, middle-aged people too, they should be really involved because what happened in COVID was if they weren't in good shape, they got much sicker. How did the teenagers figure that out? (laughs) That's a good question. I thought the same thing. I thought Gen Xers and Boomers would be the ones that say, okay, all the media was saying, you know, if you're overweight or obese, 70% of, of, of adults are overweight. And those are the ones that got affected the most, but the Gen Zs really woke up to this, and it's—I mean—it's good for them, right? And That's they're off I their thought. devices, they're off their couches, right. they're much more active than I think people really think they are. Um, and on—if you go back to 2019, 25% of the 2019 um, participants, 25% have joined over that time frame since then. 11% are still members. 5% of the parents are members. So that's why this is really, really phenomenal. I mean, through over three million. If those same stats hold true, this is a great upside for the brand. Well, you did have a great plan for people to get in, and they obviously liked the plan, and they stuck. The numbers of people got in free, say, stick, who stuck around, it's gigantic, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he was the app to sign up. Right. It's parent guardian okay, waiver. So we that's there. what we're we just going to ask you. Yeah. I think the app was really huge because if you don't have to sign up in person, these people don't like to speak to people. That's true. And they don't want to have to bring the parents in with them. Yes. Right? So they can do it all at home. And the ease of sign up was so easy. And we that actually was the number one app in the app store for like the first week or so above TikTok, Instagram, you name them. Number one, not fitness app, apps, period. It was really great. Well, that clearly worked. Now, um, I also felt that when I read this that I thought that, boy, owning a, owning a franchise must be great. And you did not add that many franchises, which I think is good and considerate to the people who have franchises. Because that way they can make more money and bring in more people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know we don't really bring in many new franchisees anymore. We grow right. with the existing group of, group of, of franchisees. You know, they're veteran operators with us. They're sophisticated. They've been with us for 10, 20 years now. Right. Um, we're only about 120 groups that make up our system that really drive this. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have made it through COVID. Right. I mean, 25% right. of the gyms closed. 10,000 gyms in the country closed. We didn't lose a single one during COVID. It's incredible. And that's because of that. Right. Now, uh, someone asked me, how do you get to be a fran- How can you f- get to be a franchisee <laughs> at Planet Fitness? I said, be a franchisee at Planet Fitness, because that's who you want. Yeah. One of my friends had, fi- had five of them mm-hmm. cashed out, multimillionaire because of it. didn't start with a lot of money. It's just been a great investment. I think that unless you cash out, you can't get one. Yeah, I know. Unless you, I mean, you really, at this point, you're going to buy into one of the, one of the franchisees that right. are in the system. That's true. Okay, so give me, um, tell me what is uh, happening in the whole country in terms of what you see about physical fitness and the importance of it. Now, we know the teens, mm-hmm. but are we getting, I mean, you know the rap on our country. Our country is just that we're, that we're more obese, and we got even more obese during the, the COVID plague. Yeah. Is that are, they, are people, remember the people said that everybody gained 35 pounds? Are people back? Yeah, they're, they're coming back. They're coming back. Gen, For you, they're so more right, than they were before? Yeah, so the Gen Zs are, like I said, they're way, they're way ahead. They're way ahead. We had almost, we have 5.5% of every Gen Z in the country a member pre-COVID. We're almost at, we're over about 9% today. We had about 8% of millennials with about 8.3%. And then the Gen X is about 65 and boomers about 3.1. So we're slowly getting them back. Our rejoin rates at about 30% of our joints are rejoins, which is 30% more than pre-COVID. So they're coming back faster, but it's time. You know, we told America to sit on the couch. Right. And now we've got to get them back. And it's just, you know, it's not as easier in your old ways, you know. But I wanted to ask you, is this, is this the new, you know, Match didn't have good numbers. Uh, some of the other services didn't have good numbers. Are people going back? I mean, look, I'm in yeah. favor of this, by the way. I'm yeah. married, so I'm not going. But, you know, are people going back? People are definitely going back. And I think it's. They realize now it's more than just for the waistline. It's more than going to the beach. Right. It's mental health. It's what's inside, not outside. And, and I, all the surveys we've seen from even teens, they realize that. It's the mental health side of things and what it does for your insides is more important than the outsides. And, and I think that's what I think COVID's showing now when the people are going through stress. Right. And now you get to talk with recession and, and everything else going on with inflation. I mean, there's a lot going on. But this is very positive. And, and it's never been like this, you know, Chris. And You've this, been behind the counter. You know that this <laughs> is the most positive trend currently going on in this very negative country. Right. But, I mean, now you can get out and blow steam for 10 bucks a month. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? And, and right now, people are under a lot of stuff. And we kept the $10 price point there. We're not going up even with inflation. You know, we'll, we'll do what's right by the member. We'll win. We'll get it. We'll figure it out. Um, and, and I think as long as we stick to our guns and don't right. waver, we'll be fine. One last question. I know you now, but a lot of people may not. You never had a shred of doubt that you would come through this little problem. Not you? one. Everyone told me that they're corners, <laughs> that you were a corner. You never had any doubt, did you? No. Not, you know, some, me and my partners back in the day, and even, we've been dealing with naysayers my whole life. Yeah. A $10 membership. 
you don't have juice bars and heavy protein drinks or aerobics, you're never going to make it. So I don't know. I just look at it as a challenge me. I'll get it and make it work. And, well, and you're and here already. You've fitness. been here from the day I met you. But this thing that you came through with this, I've got to tell you, <laughs> yeah, nothing's going to keep you down. That's why I feel like the stock, holy cow, you bought a lot of stock lower. Mm-hmm. But I'd be the fact that the stock was down, it's just a kind of crazy nut job yeah. market we have because your franchise turned out to be, I'm going to knock one for you, unassailable. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, one day is one day. Okay, fair enough. That's you. Chris Rondo, CEO of Planet Fitness, someone who went through it, came out the other side and is doing great. Everybody's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell the lightning round is over. Start with Dan in Texas. Dan. Jim, thanks for taking the call. Booyah. Booyah. I want to ask you a question about a liquid natural gas startup. Symbol T-E-L-L. Tell Urian. Tellurian. I saw someone recommend that today. That's Cherie Sookie's the chairman. I think that stock is a buy, and we need all the natural gas sector that we can. How about we go to Scott in Indiana? Scott. Hey, Jim. Love the show. Glad to be here. Oh, thank you, hey, Scott. I want to ask about a company that always beats estimates, has free cash flow, and increased subscriptions. That's Dropbox, CBX. And nothing ever happens to the stock, and I think that that's because nothing's going to happen to the stock unless they get a takeover bid, and I don't think they're going to get one. So I'm going to have to say, pass. Let's go to Roger in Florida. Roger. Uh, yes. Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. You're of course. Um, with, uh, Alibaba. You, you know, I, a- Alibaba, Chinese stock. I don't recommend any Chinese stocks. I've had it. I've had it. They break your heart too many times. Enrico in New York. Enrico! Jimmy, boy, how you doing? Doing well. How about you? Good, good, my man. I like to look at all these little plays like my, they're my girlfriend. But I can't figure this one out. I need your help here. Ticker symbol. your way. S-I-D. I mean, look at the revenue. I don't get it. Because people don't want to own steel point companies at this point in the cycle. And if they do, they're going to buy Nucor. That's what they're going to buy, even though that one yields four and this one yields less. It's Nucor. How about we go to Basil in Florida? Basil. Basil, booyah. Booyah back. Oh, all right. What's going on with 23andMe? It went from $2 it, to It can never get any traction. It just can't get traction. And you know what? I saw the CEO on, and I just said, I said, you know what? No mojo. Stock has no mojo. That's a technical term for not going anywhere. Let's go to Barry in Florida. Barry. Yes, Jim. Nice to speak to you. My stock Barry, what's is, up? My stock is J.P. Morgan Chase. I think J.P. Morgan Chase has reached at a point of inflection and is starting to go higher. Bye, bye, bye. Jamie, take that. Okay, let's go to Don in Texas. Don. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Uh, we appreciate what you do for us. Uh, oh, thank you. I bought some, I bought some EOG uh, before earnings. Oh, then you're a smart man. You got horses. EOG's one of the best oil companies in the world. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. 
Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. a real party pooper. That's all I could think when the commodity semiconductor maker pre-announced truly terrible numbers on the same day that President Biden signed the Chips and Science Act into law. The legislation championed by the implacable Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo was a monumental act of perseverance. We make very few chips in this country. Most are manufactured abroad, particularly in Taiwan, which is apparently threatened by the People's Republic of China and under acute pressure right now. While American semiconductor companies make a ton of money, that's mostly from designing chips. Building actual fabs, the technical name for semiconductor factories, it's just not economical in this country anymore. They cost too much to set up and too much to operate. So we need subsidies to promote domestic manufacturing or else it will be done overseas. Longer term, we need these facilities badly. But short term, Micron already suggests that we have too much capacity worldwide. That's the same impression we got from NVIDIA yesterday. Many funds had climbed into KLA, Lamb Research, and Applied Materials ahead of the signing of the bill. They are the biggest winners because they make semiconductor manufacturing equipment. Unfortunately, they just got blown out by Micron's capital equipment budget slash and burn. How worried should we be about Micron's massive number cut or NVIDIA's gigantic shortfall? Look, we've seen this movie before. Micron's the most cyclical of the semis. It's lower-end chips ebb and flow in price, depending on short-term demand and supply. As for NVIDIA, it had not one but two blow-ups in 2018 and then 2019, when the stock literally did get cut in half. Not coincidentally, that was the last time crypto imploded. NVIDIA's now been cut in half again from its highs, and I think it could go even lower if we get a second negative pre-announcement, which I think is a very distinct and real possibility. So then why not give up on it entirely? Full disclosure, we sold a ton of NVIDIA for the charitable trust at much higher prices. And we told CBC Investing Club members now that we don't want to buy it back until we figure out there's another shoe to drop. And only after that drop. So then why hold it at all? Because after the second shortfall in 2019, NVIDIA stock had one of the most breathtaking runs in the history of the stock market. I don't know when NVIDIA is going to turn again, but I know it's making the chips of the future. Many of which are tied to the ailing video game business, although they'll ultimately have much broader implications. I like NVIDIA's auto and nascent industrial exposure and its bold artificial intelligence and machine learning platforms. That's where the big wins will be. And they aren't in the numbers yet. Yes, short term is being crushed under the weight of crypto and gaming. As we heard from Take Two earlier, there's a definitive slowdown in the gaming space. And Coinbase tonight reported terrible numbers, which solidifies crypto spiral. But those aren't the future. And hopefully that Ethereum will be a thing of the past. Micron's tougher. Its chips are in everything, but especially lower-end cell phones and personal computers. This morning, the CFO told a group of investors that, that another end market, the cloud, is slowing, too. I did not hear that when I interviewed the CEO, Sanjay Marotra, and Squawk on the Street. This was just a new negative. They really brought the market down. Now, this one's a tough sell because we just heard from AMD just last week that the, the cloud's very strong. Could Micron be in the bad cloud and AMD be in the good cloud? There really isn't such a thing. But we do know that AMD makes the highest end chips and Micron makes the lowest. I'm banking with AMD. Channel Trust owns it. Here's where I come out on this whole thing. We know semiconductors periodically go peak to trough with electric speed, often because there's double ordering when things are good and glots with heavy discounting when things are bad. We are now in the glut phase of the semiconductor cycle, people, with the exception of chips for automobiles. Historically, the glut phase has been a good time to buy, not a bad one. 
I think you have to buy the glut and sell the peak, something I tried to do ever since the first time Micron broke down in the early 1990s. Ultimately, I'm betting this time will be no different, but boy, does it ever hurt until the glut ends. Once it ends, though, you got to hold on for the rocket ride. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.